Every year in the second Sunday of Lent is, is the, the scene of our Lord's Transfiguration. The Transfiguration is a, a singularly unique event during the time of our Lord's public ministry. It's, re, it's really the only time prior to His resurrection that the fullness of His glory is, is revealed, where He sort of shows Himself for who He truly is, right? His, he shows His divinity, he shows the fact that he is the Son of God, um, not just in any old sense, but, but what we call in theology the natural Son of God, because he is divine. He sort of displays all of his all of his glory um, for these three apostles to see, and they're just sort of struck, you know, like with fear by the whole thing. Like, what is happening? This is crazy. Like, we've never seen Jesus like this before. This is this is something totally totally unexpected. And it's good to ask the question, why, why did Jesus give Peter, James, and John this experience? Why sort of break the mold? You know, for, for 33 years of his life, from, from birth until the resurrection, he pretty much uh, exclusively hid his divinity, right? He deliberately hid that part of who he was, so that if you were to see him wandering around and whatever, 23 AD, you wouldn't have known that, that he was God, right? Why did he sort of break the mold for this one little, this one little episode and sort of display all of his glory? To understand why he did that, um, we kind of have to look to what happened immediately prior to the transfiguration and sort of what it was preparing the apostles for. So immediately before the episode of the transfiguration, Jesus gives what we often call his first passion prediction. The first time he tells his apostles that he must suffer and die. It's the first time that he explains to them what kind of Messiah he is. Because at that point they, they knew he was the Messiah. That had been made clear when Peter confessed him as the son of the living God. And, and Jesus confirms that. The apostles had kind of been wondering like, they, they had a hunch that, that he was probably the Messiah, but our Lord hadn't said it openly. He says that openly, he confirms Peter's proclamation, and then immediately after that, he goes on to, to, to correct any false misconceptions that they might have about what sort of Messiah he's going to be. He says, the Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem, be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is, this is how I'm going to save Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to offer my life. I'm going to go to my death. Which would have made no sense at all to the apostles. They said, how in the world, like, how are you going to save anybody? Like, if it look, if it, if, if this is how you're going to do it, it's going to look like you're the one who needs to be saved, right? This, this doesn't, this doesn't add up <laughs> at all. And so they were just sort of shocked by the whole prediction, didn't really know what to make of it. And it's precisely at that moment that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up this high mountain and he gives them this vision of him in glory, this, this extraordinary manifestation of, of the fullness of, of who he is. And he does that for a couple of different reasons. One of them is to strengthen and encourage them so that when he suffers and dies, they don't just lose their faith altogether. They don't just sort of come crashing down in terms of their, their trust that he is the Messiah. They'll, they'll have a chance to think back. You know, when, they, when John sees him on the cross, and then when Peter and James, you know, 
who are, must have been off somewhere else hiding out of fear, when they sort of, you know, recognize in those moments what's happening, they can kind of look back to the transfiguration and say, well, like, we don't really, <laughs> we don't really get this yet. We don't, we don't understand why Jesus is, is doing this fully, but, but we do remember what we saw on that mountain. Like, we, we saw him in, in glory. So we, we know that he, he is who he says he is, and, and so we just kind of have to, have to trust. So, so the transfiguration was meant to encourage and strengthen them for that darkest moment when our Lord went to his, his passion and death. It's also a reminder to the apostles, because Jesus situates it immediately after the passion prediction, and then of course throughout his public ministry as well, he says, not only will I suffer and die, but if you're going to follow me, you have to carry a cross. Right? Anyone who chooses to follow me is going to have to carry a cross. And by immediately following up that prediction with the transfiguration, he's also sort of showing all of his disciples until the end of time that the cross leads to glory. That if you bear your cross with love, the ultimate result is glory with God forever in heaven. So the transfiguration also serves that purpose to, 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 to really embed in his apostles' minds and in our minds the fact that the only way to heaven is through the cross. The only way to Easter Sunday is Good Friday. That's another reason that he sort of pairs these, these two events together, the prediction of his passion and, and the transfiguration. But I want to focus a little bit more on that first reason for the transfiguration, that he, he gives it to the apostles as, as a, an experience of encouragement and strengthening so that when the cross arrives, they're able to bear it without sort of, you know, falling and, and just sort of their faith just being dashed to pieces. Um, and this, this happens in, in our life to the same sort of dynamic of the proclamation of the cross, moments of consolation where the Lord strengthens and encourages us, and, and then the cross itself, right? So you can say that in, when we were baptized, uh, that the cross was sort of, in a sense, proclaimed over our life, right? Uh, any of you have been to a baptism recently or in the past may recall that, that part of it is, is marking the head of the person with, with a little cross. And, of course, when it's an infant baptism, everybody's sort of smiling and thinking, oh, this is so wonderful, you know, we're putting, <laughs> putting this little cross on this, this little child's head. And, uh, we often don't stop to think that, like, basically what we're saying by doing that is like, okay, okay, little kid, like, you don't know what's happening right now, but <laughs> by being baptized into Jesus, it means you're going to suffer. So we're going to put a cross on your head. <laughs> Just even though you don't understand what's happening now, uh, that's, that's what we're marking you with. We're marking you out for suffering. That, that your life is going to be one that, that has to bear the cross, right? So when we're baptized, there's sort of this, the same way Jesus proclaimed and, and predicted his apostles he would suffer and die, that proclamation is made to us uh, at the moment of our baptism. And then throughout our life, we have sort of this, this alternating experience back and forth between the transfiguration and Calvary, right? The Lord gives us these little, little moments of consolation, alternated with moments when we have to bear the cross. Sometimes it may feel like the, the bearing of the cross part is a lot, <laughs> a lot bigger percentage than the moments of consolation. Um, and if that feels to be the case, that means the Lord is, is entrusting us and, and expecting us to respond with, with greater love, right? The, the, the more cross you bear uh, in proportion to the consolations you receive, 
means that the Lord has great glory in store for you. Um, and so don't be discouraged by that, by that sort of percentage breakdown. If it feels like, ah, oh, my life is like 99% Calvary and 1% Transfiguration. Great, that means that, that the glory in store for you in heaven will be, will be truly extraordinary if you, if you choose to bear that cross well. Um, but I want to maybe draw for you quickly as well just one, one small thing about these moments of consolation in, in our life. So some of you may be familiar with the language in the spiritual tradition of the church that talks about spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation. Spiritual consolation is a, is a unique experience um, where we are given uh, what you might describe as like a, like a sensible delight in spiritual things. When somebody is in the midst of a period or a moment of spiritual consolation, prayer is like the greatest thing in the world. We feel like we could just, we could just sit and pray for hours. It's just full of this, this sensible sweetness and delight. We also feel like we could overcome any obstacle that's placed in our way. Right? We just feel totally strong, like almost like we're invincible. Like if any temptation were to come to us in a moment of consolation, we feel like we would just sort of flick it away like a bug. Like we, we, just, we just feel totally immersed in the love of God, like, like nothing, nothing could hurt us. We, we feel like we could talk to other people for hours about our Lord, that, that I, I would be willing to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim His name, and that, that would, like, nothing would give me more joy than that. This is sort of the, the sensation that comes upon us with spiritual consolation. Um, and it's important uh, to know that often, in the initial stages of someone's conversion or reversion to the Lord, often he will give consolation in bigger doses, right? When I was in high school kind of going through uh, my first real encounters with the Lord and, and really coming to know Him for the first time, He was giving me lots of moments and periods of whether it was a couple days or a week of, of spiritual consolation where it was just it was just like the greatest thing in the world to, to go pray for, for long periods of time. You know, I, I felt like I could do all those things I just listed off and, and not grow weary. Um, but it's important to note, and some of you may be able to relate some to this, it's, it's very important to note that it, it can become really easy to become attached to consolations. Right? They feel so good, they feel so good that we become attached to consolations instead of attached to God. In the same way that we can become attached to the things of the world, the pleasures of the world, we can also become attached to the things of God instead of becoming attached to God Himself. It may sound like I'm splitting hairs here, but this is actually a, a really significant thing. So, for example, the first spiritual consolation I ever received was, was on this mission trip I went on when I was 15. And throughout the course of this week with these other high schoolers from my parish, I just had, had this profound joy in God that I'd never had before. Like, this is great. Jesus is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like, everything feels good on this spiritual high. Some of you maybe have experienced this on a retreat before or, or some other similar thing. And so I had this and I came back home and immediately myself and like all these other 15 year olds that, that had gone on this mission trip, um, who had experienced this sort of spiritual high, these spiritual constellations, we immediately wanted to like go out and start doing service projects in our town, and, like painting people's houses, and 
helping at food pantries and stuff like that. And looking back, <laughs> I realized that like the, the one and only reason that I wanted to do those things was to get a spiritual high. I, I was not painting someone's house or helping at the food pantry because I, would, I, I actually really loved them <laughs> or, I, or I loved God. I was purely chasing the experience that I had on that mission trip. I just wanted to feel that consolation again. And this could be a, a, a really deep temptation for us as, as followers of our Lord, especially if we've gotten a dose of that in our life. We can spend years trying to recover it. Right? The, the first time in high school where I went to pray on my own in the little Blessed Sacrament Chapel in my parish for 20 minutes, I was 18 years old, the Lord gave me, like it was like 20 minutes of pure consolation in prayer. And since that, from that time until now, that's happened to me maybe like 10 times. <laughs> 10 times in, in whatever, 15 years, right? So, it, but, I, but I spent, after I had that experience, I went back to prayer every time for several years after that, expecting the same exact thing to happen. I was just, I was just chasing a feeling. I was chasing an experience. I'd become attached to consolations from God rather than, as we might say, the God of consolation. This is, this is such an important thing to remember. So I offer that to you this morning as a, as a point where you might examine your own life. If you've, if you've had the privilege of experiencing spiritual consolations in your life before, to remember that, that those are gifts to be received from God, but they're not something to be sought in and of themselves, right? The Christian life is, is about pursuing God's will. That, that's it. It's about finding God's will and doing it, whatever the feelings or experiences or circumstances that might be milling around outside of that, those things are all secondary. The Christian life is about pursuing God's will because we love Him, right? Pursuing the giver and not His gifts. Pursuing the God of consolation and not the consolations that come from God. Right? This, is, this is very important. If we are to be true followers of the Lord, we must be willing to detach from these experiences of God so that we can attach to God Himself. And to not be like Peter. Peter was like up there on the, on the mountain. He's like, this is great. Let's just stay here. Lord, we're just going to forget about that stuff you said a little bit ago about like suffering and death. We're just gonna, I'm just going to pretend you never said that. We're just going to build three tents. It's going to be great. We're just going to live up here in this, in this great consolation until... The Father comes and takes us all to heaven, and, and, and that's going to be great. Sometimes we can think that, that, that our life as, as believers is, is meant to be that way. It's, it's not. Jesus, eventually the, the glory fades, and Jesus comes over, and the gospel says he touches each of the three apostles. He touches them and says, rise. Rise and, and do not fear. Rise. Now, I gave this to you so that you can bear the cross, not so that you can avoid it. Right? So today, especially... As we're getting rolling in Lent, can maybe take this to heart, examine ourselves. Am I seeking God for Himself alone, or am I just seeking the things that, that He gives?